0: Yeah, on Two
1: twins.
2: Hey, don't, do Yeah. Let's go. LFG. Let's effing go. Good afternoon, Nub. T, how are you? I'm a little bit of a fanboy right now. I'm not gonna lie. I, it, you're gonna have to help me today because my, uh, my man crush on Brendan Bayless is pretty well known at this point. It's pretty legendary. So if like, if I start to creep him out, like if you see him getting creeped out, just jump in. You know, don't be afraid. <laughs> Or just hang up Bayless if you need to.
1: No, um, we I got to say, we, we've been to many Unfree um, shows. I don't think you're the only one. <laughs> yeah. The man crushes for our uh, guests in episode 43 are immense if you ever go see this band live.
2: You know, one of the things that is getting talked about a lot right now in this glorious world we live in at the moment is normalcy. You know, what is normalcy? When will we get back to normal? You know, and Damn, for me and Nubs, I know this has been the case for you for several years. Normalcy is Humphreys coming to Detroit twice a year. You know that's when that's when you kind of know that everything's you know working the way it's supposed to. And uh, for the last year, there are many things that have felt abnormal, but that's <laughs> that's probably the most the first year since probably two thousand five
1: that haven't seen this band and in our in our highly undisciplined highly unstructured lives that is one thing that keeps our year together
2: oh yeah is i free show you know? indeed and i'm working on show number 58 not that i count or anything ish ish <laughs> and yeah, we are just thrilled just absolutely freaking thrilled to have Uh, said man crush brendan bayless join our podcast here and we are just so thankful bayless can we call you bayless
0: yeah that's what most people call me
2: bayless welcome good man we are incredibly thankful to have you here
0: no i'm happy to be here man i uh yeah no one really calls me (laughs) brendan
2: well um you know it's funny you guys are you know there are bands that become a part of your musical taste and a part of your catalog and all that. And then there are bands that, you know, kind of just become a part of your life, you know, become part of this sort of reoccurring nature of um like I mentioned, you know you're going to see them every year. You know you're going to have that interaction, you know you're going to get um something unique because yeah, every show is different and every show has its own characteristics and it really has kind of sucked balls to have to go a year without seeing you guys. But more importantly than us stupid fans, what's it been like for you to be off the road this long? I mean, you guys are obviously an incredibly hardworking band to say the least when it comes to the road. Have you enjoyed it? I know you have family now that uh, nubs and I have young kids too. So we sort of know what that's all about, but how's it been? Uh, you
0: know, we've been gone for 21 years basically constantly traveling. So I was initially, when we found out we were getting sent home, it was like, all right, I got a week off. And I was like, Oh, I might have two weeks. And then like I woke up that Monday and realized, Oh, this is, this is something, this is for real. So there was a little bit of a panic mode, um, which I think was natural for everybody Yeah. just cause the whole world was like freaking out. And then, um, I kind of realized that this is my opportunity to kind of be home and see my kids grow up. Cause I'm usually, I I'll leave, I'll come home and one of them is like riding a bike when I come home or something.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So i kind of embraced it that way to kind of look at it as an opportunity that I probably won't ever have again. So like the first say 10 months, I was really digging it.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And right after new year's eve and it was like okay we're still here okay i'm i'm officially ready now and so i think it's going to be a really good thing for the band because we're all kind of energized and being away from it i think we all appreciate it a lot more what what we had and how good it was how spoiled we were <laughs> uh you know like having your own hotel room and cater dinner and you don't have to Deal with a kid crying about Legos all day, you know. (laughs) So,
2: oh, you're at the Lego stage, huh? Yeah, we're. And there, yeah. (laughs) How old are your kids again, Bayless?
0: Uh, Eight, seven, and five and a half, almost six.
2: Okay, okay, yeah, you're right in the thick of it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think it was a nice reset, and now everybody's excited to get back. And I think all the little, little annoying things about the road and traveling and being gone, I think we'll be gone for at least the first couple of weeks while we're back.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Before they get annoying again. Right. I mean, just in, and again, personal, I mean, you know, show 58 will be in may you're coming to Detroit. Can't wait. Um, I I think people are just going to go ape shit. Not that they don't anyway at your shows, but I mean the energy, you know, you guys are top notch energy anyway on a normal night, but, um, I just I can't wait for the the just energy of you guys to your point of kind of being happy to be back, and man I think the crowd is just gonna like feast on that, so it'll be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not planning on phoning it in now when we get back (laughs) on stage, but I do feel like we could almost play like our worst stuff
2: and people, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, stoked. Yeah, totally,
1: totally. You know, for a band that relies so much on the chemistry between the six of you and anyone that's been to a show can see that there's a, there's even a groove within a show that you guys lock into, right? So what is it, what has been the process of you guys trying to stay united? I'm assuming you don't all live in the same house. How, (laughs) how have you, which would be kind of weird if you did, how have you guys been able to stay united just musically? You know, I'm sure you communicate and things like that, but. How is it that you're going to take a stage again and not, not necessarily lose your individual chops, but lose the, the chemistry within the band and the ability to riff off of each other and all the things that make Humphrey so unique? What have you done to try and keep that going in, in the best way possible?
0: Well, we initially set up a Thursday afternoon conference call. at the same time every Thursday for this whole pandemic. And oddly enough, you know, It'd be a surprise to a couple of people randomly, like, oh, we're doing that again? Like, yeah, it's week 17. We're still doing the same Zoom. So once a week, we had a meeting to kind of just go over business stuff and just check in with everybody. Um, but we've been writing songs this whole time. We basically, when we went to do a stream at Jake's house in June, we tracked for three days and laid the foundation for six songs. And then when we did the stream in round in Chicago, we tracked for a couple of days and got the skeletons for another six to eight songs. So then basically we've been sending those back and forth to each other over the past couple of months, adding parts, subtracting. So it's still connected, even though we're doing it, you know, through email and stuff, it's not like we're completely disengaged. And we played a show last weekend and it was, sh- it was surprising to me how much stuff I actually remembered. Uh, there's some complicated passages that were really hard to learn when we were writing them, but I think I've played them so many times. I don't want to jinx it, but so many times that <laughs> a lot of it was coming back. And was, I was shocked that the hard stuff was coming back and some of the super easy stuff was not there. <laughs> so, well, we have six, at least six gigs in may coming up. I think maybe more. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't, I'm not worried about us, uh, falling off. You know, I think everybody's kind of maintained their chops. A lot of guys are teaching lessons. I know I've played more guitar in the last year than I have in a long time. So,
2: well, that was kind of how you and I got acquainted was I saw that you were doing lessons and I was like, hell yeah. You know? And so, you know, and I kind of, you know, 20% wanted a lesson and 80% just kind of wanted to hang, talk music, you know? Um, but there are a couple other things I wanted to ask you, um, to, to see if, if you remember me, um, number one, I'm always the idiot when you play in Detroit who requests words like 800 (laughs) times. Do you, does that get all the way to you or, or, or no?
0: It gets to me. Um, okay. Okay. I don't know what channels you're using. Uh,
2: Mostly the Twitter, mostly the Twitter.
0: Yeah. Those get, those get to me.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's always me. I must say nipple tricks and, and words are kind of my like go-tos as far as requests and you, and you played at your last Detroit show. So thank you. Um, the second is, uh, this is going back maybe six or seven years ago. You guys played the Fillmore, the state theater, well, but I guess it's the Fillmore now. And I had tweeted you before, like a day before the show. And I shared with you this, uh, incredible song called it's so cold in the D yes. My T baby. And you did it. I mean, you sang like a verse. It was, and I just, I was like going bonkers. I mean, so I'm going to thank you for that too. And then the last thing is Omega Moose, um, uh, Magic Stick. After the um, was it two years ago? Uh, yeah. There there was a complete jackass up front, middle aged guy, shirtless. Do you remember that guy?
0: I do. Was that, that was you? me.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah.
0: Um, I I didn't think jackass. <laughs> I just thought this guy is getting down and <laughs> brought the level in the room up a notch for sure.
2: <laughs> you guys played Rio, and like uh, it, that was it. The shirt was coming off. <laughs>
0: i do remember
2: that well it is a you know uh, even a doofus like me the fact that i can even you know have interaction with you guys you know um prior to in that way and even get a couple things on the radar it's part of the the kinship of uh and the accessibility that you guys offer and i think that's part of what makes it special but obviously None of that matters unless you guys are really, really good. <laughs> and that's, that's, I think what it ultimately, you know, sort of comes down to. And it's funny, you know, hearing you talk about the hard stuff, the easy stuff. I think I've said that this on the podcast before, so nubs, you can attest, but I think you are top three rhythm guitarist uh, in rock and, oh, and my uh, just so you know, the company, I, I'm going Malcolm young, Hetfield and you. So I'm
0: happy to be in that pile.
2: Yeah. And you, you know, the, the percussive rhythmic, I mean, you know, Jake's Jake, obviously he's going, he's going ballistic a lot up there, but yeah. you know, something's got to hold it together. And, and plus Chris nubs is a drummer and we're fascinated by Chris. He's a wild man. Uh, so oftentimes it's really the, the rhythm guitar holding it together. And maybe not every ear can kind of sense that, but uh, but I sure can and I think you're one of the best. So am I, am I gushing, am I creeping you out or is this no, okay? Man,
0: I appreciate hearing that because there are <laughs> times where Jake is so good and Chris is so good, that I feel like I can see them in their minds. They're going through the Rolodex of, okay, what could I do right now? Like I could do this, feel like do that, feel like do this. Like they could do anything they wanted to. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm trying to kind of navigate. So I'm just going right down the middle and being like, Here we are. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it makes it, it, it gives, I, I guess, a foundation. So it's easier for them to kind of go off and spray and then kind of come back and have a landing.
2: Totally. Well, I, I've always felt you guys are, you know, for Midwest musicians and music appreciators like us, like you guys are the band that we all wish we would have started, you know? And, and part of what's awesome is, you know, the, the way you guys are music appreciators, it's not just up there flying around. I mean, you guys obviously have the chops to do it, but whether it's the cover songs, whether it's some of the genres and styles you cover in your own material, we're going to talk about Mantis, which obviously is a a rather proggy approach and one that at least feels conceptual in some way. Love to get your thoughts on that. You guys have just covered so much, so many bases and it really shines through that you guys just love music. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that go to your shows to just, you know, get crazy and let loose and that's fine. You know, that's all part of it. But there are many of us that are, you know, being a little bit more analytical and saying, man, it's cool when they made that move or went to that place or played that cover song and, you know, paid homage to whoever. I mean, it's, it's really cool to see the way you guys not just play and project music, but appreciate it.
0: Well, um, we, we're always going to concerts you know in high school and college all coming up and i think everybody in the band basically one day said i don't want to pay for this anymore I, I want to go do it so i think we all kind of came from the same place as being fans of music first and uh i think everybody appreciated the the influences of other people and we never fought about it and i've talked about this before where Stacy will be into like a heavy metal band and I'll be into some acoustic Indigo Girl stuff. Right. Do not belong in the same room. But we've learned to accept that everybody listens to other things and kind of respect that and not force uh, your will. You
2: know? Yeah.
1: So while he's shirtless, requesting words, which <laughs> is all accurate, I'm like the nerdy Prague guy in the back of the room trying to convince the people there that are just there for the experience about your studio work and why it's really important. And I think what's cool about your band, but also, and I'd love your take on this. What was confusing to me early on about your band is that people called you a jam band. And I think that's because you had long passages and solos and things like that. But I remember when I first started checking you guys out and certainly after Mantis came out to me, and, and I am a total prog nerd. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but to me, Umphreys McGee is a progressive rock band, easily just done. And, and I concentrate so much on you guys' studio output. I love going to shows, but I love the records too. And I'm always trying to bring those more to the surface because I think your live shows get so much attention and deservedly so because of what you guys do. But do you ever feel like, you know, from a studio album perspective that um, there's some misunderstanding about what kind of band you are? Almost that in some ways the albums are overlooked or underappreciated just because the live show is such a central focus of what you do as a band and with that how come you guys aren't just seen as a prog band you know how come you get labeled all these other things when really in my opinion you're just an excellent progressive rock band what do you think
0: well we t- we think of ourselves as a progressive rock band and when we came up it was definitely we were doing a set and a set break and an encore so it was the format that was kind of put out there by The Grateful Dead, Fish, Mo, all these bands that we were were like the little guys coming up, you know, trying to get opening spots or, you know, play on the same festival bill. So I think because we played uh, in that format, we're kind of already thrown into it. And then we do have a lot of long songs, a lot of solos, and we are all over the place and we do play covers. So there are a lot of similarities and I get that. Um... I'm not frustrated by it. As long as the people are listening, I really don't care. They can call it what they want. I mean, we made a mistake by naming the band, the worst name ever. So it's almost like <laughs> <laughs> it we'll take anything, you know? So,
1: you know who else says, says that Bayless, Dave Grohl. I've heard him say that many times. You Foo Fighters, what the hell kind of name is that? So I don't think you're the only one.
0: Well, I, you know, people say, you know, you don't want to live your life with regrets, but I, that's the only one I have. <laughs>
1: How about the role of the studio albums, you know, just in terms of the unfreeze experience, do you feel like, feel like those get the attention that they, uh, actually deserve?
0: I don't know. I don't think so. My gut tells me that people kind of listen to the new thing for a little bit and then they move on to the next new thing. So I don't think they ruminate. Um, but I actually listened to mantis today and I thought about it. I was like, I have not listened to this thing in, Probably the last time was when we got on vinyl. Hmm. Did a vinyl pressing. And I, so usually I work, I'm like completely immersed in these things. So as soon as it's done and mastered, I listen to it two or three more times and then I move on. <laughs> so I understand if people move on because I'm doing it myself. Right. Um, but we are a live band and that's how we make our living. And be it a blessing and a curse that that's the label. Um, maybe, maybe the albums do get overlooked. I, I really don't know I'm so I'm in a bubble and I try not to find out <laughs>
2: <laughs> well part, part of why we're here is because uh there's there's certainly one there are several but there's certainly one that we we certainly don't overlook and we want to dig into it today first why don't we do a little round and round and uh Bayless if you want to if you want to chime in we'd love to know what uh, what you're listening to uh lately let's kick into it
1: Nob, why don't we go to you first? Uh, what's round and round for you this week, buddy? So this is a band that I'm, I'm almost pissed at myself that I just discovered. And I discovered it through um, the Prog Report podcast, which is a podcast that I listen to pretty regularly. And the band is Big Wreck. And this is a group that was on... They start off in Atlantic Records. Uh, the front man of the band is Ian Thornley, who went on to do some other projects. He did a solo gig that I actually reviewed in the mid-2000s. but this. Debut from big Wreck is called in loving memory of, and it is an absolutely incredible album. And I literally just discovered it last week. And this is one of those bands I wish I would have discovered at 17 in 1997, but it's got that good thick kind of nineties production and that major label sound, but really crafty songwriting and, and just amazing stuff. So
0: I'll have to check that out.
1: Have you heard of them Bayless?
0: Uh, I think I heard that when you named the me- the album title, it started to ring a bell. Um, but I, off the top of my head, I, I don't know enough to even say
1: anything. You would love it. Check it out, Big Wreck in Loving Memory of. It's on Atlantic. I mean, I, I don't know how this band slipped through the cracks. I really don't. But glad to discover them. You know, almost thirty years later. So, album two for me is from two thousand four. This is the album Meltdown by Ash. Cool band and uh, an album I like. It's very energetic and and third for me is a new album with a lot of not new artists. And that is the Prague Collective with Worlds on Hold. This actually came out this year. And the whole thing is headed up by Billy Sherwood, who has kind of been in and out of the band Yes for a long time and also done some other side work. But it's got a ton of guest artists from Prague past. It's one of these deals too, where like, you know... uh, they do it all remotely and you've got 500 guests on it and they all contribute a guitar solo and then get a credit and they get licensing and they get paid. So uh, it's got like Bumblefoot, it's got Todd Rundgren, it's got Steve Hillage, Steve Hackett. So a lot of a lot of good artists on it, but it's a really terrific album. And like I said, Billy Sherwood kind of heads the whole thing up. So I've been enjoying that lately as well. So here's words I never thought I'd say on the podcast. Brennan Bayless, what's going on and on for you?
0: Well I uh a friend of mine got me Modest Mouse, uh, The Moon versus Antarctica on vinyl. Nice. So I've been listening to that one uh a lot. Not as much as I'd like to because there's some bad words that my children run around. <laughs> so when they're outside I crank Isaac Brock and, and just let him scream. Yeah, talk about man crushes. I think <laughs> Isaac Brock, I think I have a man crush on him.
2: Yeah. yeah, he's, he's pretty, pretty very, awesome.
0: Very gifted uh songwriter the way he, his lyrics make you it's almost like man i wish i would
2: have thought of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he's a he's a beauty we got to see them they they came and did a festival the actually rothbury festival you guys did that they um,
1: was there they were on like a yeah. second stage or something like that if yeah I remember,
2: right it was in like 2009 but they um that was when they were playing with mar and they played at that festival and they were they were sweet it was great to see him up there with him I've got uh, an interesting one. This is Bony M. So this is a '70s disco funk deal out of Germany, and uh, so you know Frank Farian, the Millie Vanilli guy, the man behind Millie Vanilli. Yeah. So he this was like one of his first successful groups, and actually this was like late '70s, and he had a similar deal there were two people in the band that actually sang and performed it, and the other two faked it. Um, but nobody cared they, they, probably, probably because bony M didn't win a Grammy like, like Millie Finale did, but they're great. It's like uh, kind of weird and disco and you know, probably lots of Coke going on and you how, do you,
0: know. how do you spell that
2: B O N E Y and then M the initial Boney M. they've got a couple actually well-known. You know how I got to know them is, my kids are doing just dance, you know, that video game thing. And there's a song on there from these guys that was a pretty big hit called Rasputin. And if you listen to it, you'd probably know it. It's from 78. And I was like, man, that's kind of a jam. And so I looked it up. I'm like,
1: oh, this is Boney M. So, hey, real quick, before we leave that though, Bayless, what do you think about a uh, girl, you know, it's true cover from Millie Vanilli. Hmm. I could see you guys like kind of killing that one.
0: Yeah, but will we have to stop on the go? You know, it's good.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) to skip and run off the stage. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, I could see a reference coming in there soon. Uh, We haven't talked about learning any new covers, but.
2: The other thing I've like harassed you guys about is I really want you guys to do the Rocky Four training montage by Vince DeCola.
0: Yes, we're very familiar with it. Sometimes that gets put on backstage to pump us up.
2: Cummins Co- would kind of destroy that one, I believe.
0: Yeah, it's basically um time that there's uh, doubt or fear or <laughs> any anything wrong, that album is backstage <laughs> on the bus many times.
2: Just to get you fired up. As long as you don't think about the Apollo part, every uh, the rest of it will get you charged up.
0: If he dies
2: you <laughs> <laughs> yeah sub yeah right
0: <laughs> yep for me <laughs>
2: <laughs> solid well that's good round and round my other two are the the fine young cannibals debut a little, little rolling gift for you big fan and uh and the deftones uh self-titled record so Boney m deftones and fine young cannibals that, that just sums up it's almost, like a, it's almost like an Umphrey set list as far as eclecticness right well, I'll, there.
0: I'll throw one more in there because I got yeah. to be fine. I'll, I've been listening to Paul's Boutique a lot. Like,
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh, we love that. We did, a, we did an episode on Check Your Head. And uh, yeah, it was... In fact, I wanted to... I don't know how many... I don't know if, if you've seen our episode list, but I, tr- I, I kind of gathered up the ones we've done that have a connection to, to you guys in a way. So, you know, Toto. We did Toto's debut record. You guys do a couple Toto cuts. How amazing were those guys, by the way? Uh, we did injustice for all which you guys, I don't think you've played that in a while, but you guys do a killer full version of, uh, of the, the title track from that one.
0: Yeah. That one's always fun. Yeah. It's long. So you gotta, it's a commitment.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it is a commitment. Uh, speaking of commitment, we did King Crimson red. Nice. And, uh, that one's great. And nubs actually told the story of you guys played Pontiac, Michigan clutch cargoes with Adrian. Mm-hmm. Um, and nub you, you told the story. You actually, uh, I think maybe during um, set break, you like went to the back of the venue and just found Adrian blue, like sitting in a room and you like hung out with him for a few minutes. Right.
1: I did. It was the craziest thing. It was actually, it wasn't during set break, but it was during the triple wide, um, which was, it was you were playing the full extent of it, and so I just started wandering a little bit, and I literally just found him sitting in this kind of room in the basement of Clutch Cargo's playing guitar, and he was like the absolute kindest, nicest dude. I was just blown away, and I was talking about fanboy. I mean, you don't get to meet a member of King Crimson every day, <laughs>
0: or, yeah, or a member of Zappa, or the Talking Heads, or David Bowie, or whatever. Exactly.
1: exactly, exactly, exactly. He must and have been got- a great guy to tour with, though.
0: Super nice. I mean, like a teddy bear. Super nice. Just hilarious, great stories, very good energy, and very open to whatever.
1: And you guys played Theta
2: Hoon, I think, together that night uh, during yeah, which was awesome.
0: Yeah, we did that in red with him for sure, and then a couple yeah, times.
2: yeah. So we did that. We did uh, we did Huey Lewis in the News sports. Oh yeah, and he played on Women, Wine and Song, right, on, on, in the studio. So there's the Huey I mean you guys and you guys are kind of buds, aren't you?
0: Yeah. Um we became friends the first night I met him. I got completely hammered and fell and hit my head He picked me up, <laughs> took me to bed, and tucked me in.
1: <laughs> you got tucked <laughs> in by Huey Lewis. It's a classic
2: story, bro.
0: Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we hit it off.
2: <laughs> he seems like an awesome dude. I know he's jammed with you guys a few times in uh New York City gigs, I think, and those type of things.
0: Yeah, super nice guy.
2: We did Kid A, Ooh. which which we both kind of bashed. We were not too keen on Kid A in hindsight, but uh, but you guys do a great version in National Anthem, um,
1: which is it's Kid much a. better than the Radiohead version. I think,
0: wait, am I is OK
2: Computer the one that they blew up?
1: Yeah, that was like yeah. Paranoid
2: Android and the
1: Benz was a little bit of the setup, and then OK Computer was like the commercial payoff. It was huge.
2: Yeah, OK
0: Computer is one that I really like.
2: Yeah, OK Computer is amazing. In fact, we we mentioned that in the episode that OK Computer kicks ass and Kid A, maybe they went a little too far. We did Flock of Seagulls, self titled. You guys do uh do you, I don't know if you I know you do Iran. Have you ever done Space Age Love song?
0: No, just Iran.
2: Yeah, that's a that would be a
1: nice one. Can too. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of my favorite songs of all time, man. Sure. We did uh we did Vulgar Display of Power,
2: Little Pantera. And, uh, which you guys get dirty. I, I, it's, I don't, I think it's been a while since you did. It. I think Cowboys from hell you've done before, but
0: you did it, uh, two summers ago in New Jersey.
1: Do you get a kick out of like, when you guys pull out the big metal, you know, um, kind of looking out and seeing all like some of your, your more hippie side of the crowd sort of not know what to do.
0: Yes.
2: Uh, <laughs> like when you play wizard.
0: Yeah. It's entertaining to me, but it's also like almost uh you're looking at and you can tell like some of these people it's not what they would go to but we're gonna make you do this because (laughs) music is music and you need to embrace all kinds of it you can't just be shut off
2: absolutely i love
0: it kind of sprinkle in a little education
2: by the way wizard is a real masterpiece i mean how long does a composition like that take you guys
0: jake wrote most of that and Did he? It, yeah he basically rec- he basically had 10 all the sections and he showed up and was like okay i got this riff and he'd play it and he's like i got this and we basically stuck them all together and then pony had a baseline outro at the end um maybe joel had the piano part too that might have been mm. in there
2: middle part yeah
0: um I, but i think he kind of just Came up with basically all the, all the parts. And then we put it together in a day at the studio. Um, and I think we've subsequently sped it up because I don't remember it being as fast as the last time we played it.
2: Yeah. You never did that. Did you guys ever record that in the studio? You
0: know, we might've tried. There's definitely a couple songs that we've recorded that we never put out just cause it just didn't click. Okay. No pun okay. intended.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Setting up a click track for that would not be easy. <laughs>
2: And, uh, and then the last one I'll mention is actually, this was last week. We did welcome to the pleasure dome. Little Frankie goes to Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) and I think you guys jam a little relax whenever you're feeling it, which is awesome, which is awesome. (laughs) So, um, but you know, we're here to plow through something that we've, in fact, I'm going to show you, I don't know if you can see behind me no one listening is going to be able to see this, but those are all since 1990 when I was 10 years old, we nubs and I have picked an album of the year every year. So you can see pretty much from then until now. And I don't know if you can see it from here in 2009.
0: Yep. Mantis
2: big winner. And that's, you know, that's kind of what we want to dig into here while we have you. And I think to Nubs's point earlier, you know, the studio work and, and I think, I mean, similar skin was great record too. And, and, uh, and uh, it's not us. And I mean, it seems like you guys are, are sharpening up a bit in the studio as far as like just stuff really sounding layered and, and good and full and, and kind of the way that, you know, for a lot of these songs, especially kind of the heavier stuff, it's really coming across nicely, but it seemed like Mantis was a turning point for you guys in your studio career as far as it, it, correct me if I'm wrong I think every track you hadn't played live yet uh, yeah you know you, you guys the, your composition we, we talked a little bit about it with with wizard it's really fascinating to kind of you know get an idea for more often than not are you guys is it collaborative are there certain songs that you kind of have them laid out and it's like here boys this is what it's going to be um or or Jake or Joel or whoever else, um you know for Mantis in particular, how did the composition come about? Um, were there was it individualistic or was it pretty collaborative or was it sort of all of the above?
0: It's all of the above. it's every album is is the same in that there's no real formula. The most common formula I think of all the songs is Jake writing some instrumental stuff and sending it to me and then I layer vocals on top of it and send it back to everybody and then everybody now will kind of get in the room and we'll tweak it you know maybe add a bar here take this out double this cut that you know or uh kind of amend it so that I guess for a fair amount of the tunes is is kind of like the formula but sometimes I'll have a song and I'll send it in and it's pretty, kind of pretty much finished, but I won't have like a keyboard part or I won't, you know, I'll have a super simple bass line cause I suck at bass. <laughs> so where Jake will send in something and it's, it's almost like drums, bass, guitar, almost finished. So there it's kind of all over the place, but I, like an example for this was cemetery walk. Um, we did that together. We got a dry erase board in the studio and basically we would try it as a a b c, you know, write the order, and everyone knew what the a meant, and the b went, and that was one where we literally together tried it, and we decided to make the rule in the studio that from now on, everybody that suggests something, we have to at least try it, because it, if it benefits the song, that's the way we should, you know, roll with it. Yeah. Instead of, instead of saying no. And because sometimes as a songwriter, you come in with an idea and you you give it, and then people start to tweak, and you're like, hey, that's not. I'm not jiving with that. But if if that's how if you're if you're kind of locked like that, then it kind of sets up. It doesn't set up for a good, you know, composition because I feel like a lot of the best stuff that we've done is collaborative. Okay. Because somebody will tweak an idea and make it better, or add a section to something that was missing.
2: Yeah, I let's definitely dig into it. I one of the things we wanted to do before we get into the record is, you know, sometimes when we focus on a certain album or band, we like to throw out a top five. And uh, so we were thinking maybe we'd uh, give you our top five Humphries jams of all time. Nub, you want to you want to throw down a top five? I I think it's
1: only appropriate that we can get Bayless's thoughts on some of these. I think that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be great before we dig into the record. So first for me would be Miami Virtue, the opening track off that by Stereo. And the song stands out to me just for, and I think T and I talked about this when the record came out, it's, it's got like such a rush influence, particularly particular middle section. You know, there's something about the way that the guitar tones and that synthesizer part mix
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I love the fact that it's, it's in essence a pop song, but it's very, very complex too, you know, and it's got that driving kind of opening. And I think, I think you guys pulled it off live exceptionally well, but I I love it as the opener off that album. And it's, it's been a favorite of mine since that album came out. So my, my number five would be Miami Virtue.
0: Nice. I, uh, that song was called Miami Virtue because we were in the studio working on it at Jake's place and it was a micro Korg keyboard and the sound Jake was trying to come up with a bass line to go with I think I had like the guitar part yeah trying to think of something because pony wasn't there that day so Jake was playing bass on the keys and the sound that he ended up using was called Miami Virtue just that was the
2: effect oh,
1: really
0: <laughs> so he just, he <laughs> well that
1: it. explains it because I wonder what the hell did they call
2: that's, that song? that's awesome so that was like the effect on the on the synth yep <laughs> That's that just writes itself, you know.
0: Yeah, we're not really the best at naming things.
2: You're, I think your song titles are pretty awesome, actually. There, there are certainly many that I'm sure there's a great story behind, you know. But I, I must say, and uh, in Nub, in, no, we didn't, we don't talk about these in advance. But Miami Virtues, number five
1: for me as well. So, uh, what do you got for four of Four for me would be off Similar Skin, which, aside from Mantis, is probably my favorite of the studio albums. I just think it's such a, it's you guys really hitting stride in terms of that thick sound and kind of the overall production that T mentioned earlier, but for me it'd be puppet string just because it doesn't get a whole lot better than do, 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 I mean, you know, the way that you incorporated that riff into the verses too, I like how the verses are really open and then it just goes into this gigantic thing there during the choruses. And then, and Bayless, you know, I, vocally, I just love what you bring to the table. And th- when you're singing that last chorus, the outro, and then you do that high note, and then it kind of explodes at the end. It's, yeah. it's magic to me. Um, that album, to me, just hits a lot of peaks, but maybe none better than the, the end of Puppet String. And I, th- I think that's one song I saw you guys play live before the studio version. And it's a good example of the studio version um, eclipsing, I would say, the live performance even so that's number uh, four for
0: me a little side note about puppet string i i wrote that riff on a keyboard and e flat so it was all black notes so it was super easy to play and i was showing it to the guys and they were like mm. and then so i was like i know it's good so then i figured out okay let's just raise it up a half step so i can play it on guitar with distortion da-da-da-da. and that then it became cool
1: ah
2: there you- <laughs> nice nice Uh, I'm going to stay on similar skin and go with no Diablo, which, you know, a bit from a tempo standpoint and sort of a groove standpoint, you know, you guys have certainly done this type of thing before, but groovy song, catchy song. And, but, but one with a lot of feeling, you know, and you guys start singing in the round at the end and all that. I mean, it's a, it's a great song, great live song, you know, great one to bounce around to. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I wrote that for Jake's kid when Jake asked me to be his son's godfather
2: oh nice that's awesome i
0: went home it was like i just i was picturing myself sitting on a front porch with towns and like saying okay mom and dad are going out to dinner or, you and i are hanging out tonight you ever play with fireworks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. That kind of thing. it's
2: a it's a great song it, so it was that one that you sort of composed uh for the most part top to bun
0: yeah i sent that over i'm and i i'm so so bad at piano i literally had to play the piano parts separately tracked so i tracked the right hand part and then i went and tracked the left hand part because i couldn't <laughs> do both at the same time
2: i don't know i've watched a few of your wine knots, and you know i gotta say as as you continue to consume uh, the piano playing kind of gets better um <laughs> but uh no nah, you're you're a you're, you can play enough uh, of the old you can tickle the
1: ivories enough to be dangerous i would say
0: take it till you make it
1: right <laughs> go ahead nub Number three for me is, uh, actually the opening track off an album that I discovered sort of recently from Humphrey's because I've been so obsessed with your last few things. And by last few, I mean like the last, you know, 10, 15 years of output and his last beer, the opener off yeah. local band does. Okay. And, and I, I didn't, that's one where I heard it live. I think it was a Kalamazoo show. Maybe you guys opened with it. Really good opener by the way too. And, uh, I just love the groove of it. It, It's more playful. You know, I'm like the nerdy guy who gets really into the serious kind of unfreeze stuff, but I I dig also when you guys get a little bit more whimsical and playful and Andy's last beer certainly achieves that for me. So I I just think it's a, it's kind of a total jam. seems like you guys still enjoy playing that one, even though it's, you know, like off your first album, basically.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like it. It just reminds me of being back in South Penn and that tune. Basically I had the first half up to the the clapping part we do live. And Joel had something for the end of that. We just basically took two ideas, stuck them together and Farag the day after we finished it. The next day he was like, I think I just had my last beer. I'm so hung over. i <laughs> call it Andy's last beer.
1: <laughs> nice. Haven't we all said that? Bayless, that wasn't his actual last beer, was it?
0: No. Uh, I, just, I
1: just want to make sure.
0: He doesn't drink much, but, but he. I think he was he was so crushed that he was convinced, but he probably made a couple of weeks, <laughs> <laughs> as we got all back,
2: do. Yeah. Got back on the horse, yeah, yeah nice. exactly. It, it, you grew up in South Bend, right?
0: I had moved to South Bend in sixth grade. My dad was a tennis coach at Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, we were on the East Coast for the first twelve years. I lived in Maryland for eight years in Annapolis and Boston for four. Okay, but I, I mean, I started free thinking you know, in
2: South Bend. Yeah. Well, by the way, you know, we're up in Michigan. Don't hold that against us because we hate U of M. Um, And uh, I'm a Jayhawk. He's a Buckeye. And we're both very, very soft on the Irish. We both. Oh, yeah. We (laughs) we actually, we both really like Brian Kelly and really, you know, as long as they're not playing Kate, by the way, what years were you there? Were you at Notre Dame?
0: I graduated in 98. So. Okay. Okay. Or 98.
2: Cause in 1999, I was a, I was a sophomore at K, I would say KU Kansas and um, yeah. we opened the season against you guys up in South Bend and I got to go to a game there. And I mean, it, it was a blast, like the tailgating. it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was solid. We had a great time, but
1: and, and, and I'm an Ohio state grad and we, we play you guys in like five years or something. We scheduled a home at home with Notre Dame. And I will be in South Bend for that game. That will, be, that will be amazing. Ohio State versus Notre Dame will be a huge deal for us, for sure. Yeah.
0: You guys crushed crushed my dreams too many times. <laughs> Brady Quinn years. What was your linebacker? A.J.
1: Hawk. Remember, they were, all they did was show A.J. Hawk's girlfriend who was yeah. marrying he, Brady you know, Quinn. Yeah, sister. So, uh, or, yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, Brady Quinn's sister. That's right, whatever just it was. kept
0: stacking yeah. him and like, just probably like, I'm banging your sister.
2: exactly well we're we're irish friendly up here um my third is dbk so i'll reach back a bit to the early catalog and uh bayless we were actually down at the very first umble. uh we we made the trip uh and uh i remember you guys did like a funk version at that one which was kind of a unique take on uh on DBK, which obviously is one of the long pieces. It's between DBK and two by two are both two of my favorite long, kind of longer pieces that you guys do. But, uh, DBK was probably one of the, is that one of the first songs you guys wrote? At, at least one of the first. Yeah. Kind of that, was,
0: that was written around the same time as, uh, two by two. It was a summer that Stasik was in Japan. So it was just me, Joel, Miro and Farrakh. Right. Um, and I was trying to get, away from the jam band thing. So I was trying to come up with more heavy, you know, flat five riffs that were more dissonant because I felt like if we keep playing songs like front porch, we're definitely going to just go this way.
2: Yeah, so yeah. That was,
0: that was intentionally trying to be aggressive.
2: Those are, those are both great. Those are, it's, both called, great it's
0: called the gluten cat because the drum fill at start is cat. Oh, is oh, that,
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to ask. And then I was like, it's probably some like, I thought it was like a different language, and it's like I, you know, be like stupid for asking, but okay. No, next that makes hear sense. It,
0: listen to the drum fill to start the song, and it, it sounds like someone's saying their blue."
1: <laughs> That's awesome. All right, number two to go. Okay, I, I'm I'm thinking my number two is also on your list, so I'm just going to check right now. Is "Wife Soup" on your list? Yep. Okay. Do you want to just do that now? <laughs> yeah. So. Nice. Wife Soup, and, and I think T's going to agree with me on this. It's got to be the full version of Wife Soup. Yeah, Complete
2: with the ending. The only time you guys have pissed me off, there have been a couple of times where you played it and didn't rock the ending. And uh, it's like blue balls. It's like musical blue balls.
0: <laughs> well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Is the ending the part where the singing?
2: You wouldn't even believe your, yeah. your eyes. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, maybe we meant to come back to it and the night took a turn.
2: Yeah, I think that's what... It, it only happened like once, I think, but, you know. Yeah, that's,
0: <laughs> that song is called Wife Soup. We're talking about song names. I was reading a Tom Robbins book while writing that song, and one of the chapters was he was talking about one of the characters, and he was like, blah, 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 blah. Kind of like, not unlike a wife soup. I was like, wife soup. Let's call it wife soup.
2: <laughs> Love the song title process that you have. Um Did you write most of that one?
0: Um So that the that was kind of put together. Um, I definitely, I wrote like the verse parts and then I think Jake and I kind of stuck that one together. It's one of the first we did with Chris. So there there was definitely a collaborative effort in that one. I think I had like the chorus progression and the verse progression. And then Jake had the arpeggio sweep. And, um, I actually wrote the interlude dunk, 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 just like, on a whim and i didn't i was kind of not even going to show the guys because i thought it was just too classical and a lot some of the guys thought that was their favorite part of the song so it's like see it goes to show you don't really know Uh, i'm not quoting the grateful dead
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is a cool part of the side that ending where you you know everybody's singing uh, except for pony um uh, you know and kind of doing the harmonies in the background and you're you know up high that's it's that's that is high drama at a at a Humphrey show. It's it's a beauty every time.
0: Yeah, it, it tends to work when we do it right. One time on my birthday we were in Virginia and I was having a great time and I was just walking on the stage and like they all went to sing and I was way across like far from
1: my mic. It was like that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you needed one of those uh, you know, Rick Savage microphones.
1: Yeah. Bayless, are you too close to a song like that to to feel the emotion of it? Cause like I think T is right when when you guys hit that ending, and I'm not just talking about the live show; I'm talking about the, the recording too. I mean, there's a pinnacle to that. There's a there's an emotion to the way that song concludes, and then the acapella part at the end is really powerful as well. But you know, I get it's like a goosebump moment for fans, but for you, it's it's work. But do you still feel like when you hit kind of those moments of a song like "Wife Soup"? Do you still feel that the kind of tickle or the goosebump or anything like that, or you've, have you just done it so many times that it's it's old hat?
0: no i do and that part too it's one of those that it's weird because i'll i'll go up to sing it at the end and sometimes it's weird because something will pop in my head like remember the time your voice cracked opening for Dave matthews at alpine valley and i'm like don't don't think don't think about these things right now and then when i realize i'm over analyzing it i try and just completely shut off and tap into the emotion of it and that kind of tends to wash over me And for a few seconds i'm kind of lose time and I'm with everybody and in the moment. So yeah, it's not something that is lost on me.
2: Yeah. That's cool. All right. What's number uno?
1: Well, it's not easy to pick numero uno, but um, for me, I'm going to go with Haji. Well, Haji. (laughs) Haji is all I've never had to say the whole damn title of it. You knew you were going to fuck fuck. that up. Did not you Haji? Can we just say that? I know. I'm sure you guys just called Haji too. Haji. Uh, Hami Mama, Haji oh, Mamashte. I've been saying that wrong for 20 years.
0: <laughs> it's nice to meet you in Japanese.
1: Oh, is it? Okay. All right. There yeah. you go. So H- Haji is my number one. Again, same idea um, in terms of the peaks and valleys, the kind of ins and outs rhythmically and everything everything that's going on there. And n- no other band could or is doing anything like a track like that. And again, I think falling onto the Dead by Stereo album too. And I, I know you guys played that song live, you know, I think for years before the actual recording of it, but the recording really lives up to uh, the, the live performance of it. But I just think guitar wise and that whole late movement and the, the guitar solo outro is, I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff.
0: Uh, Stasic and I wrote that. It's the first song we ever wrote together in college. And the original version is 15 minutes long with all this weird stuff. He's talking in Japanese and I'm translating. <laughs> It's very, uh, sophomoric college, but the middle part that is now Hajime Masha, we just cut the first seven minutes and the last five minutes and just now only play that middle part.
2: Does sophomoric mean that you guys were high AF in, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, well, mine is words, which I mentioned, you know, up front and, uh, man, what a gorgeous song is it, How did that one, obviously it's kind of in three parts. So were those pieces that just kind of fit together or was that something that was composed as a whole?
0: Jake had the first part, which is it's in seven and then it's in five. And then that that became like the verse in the top. Joel had the middle part. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Jake had something for the end and then stuck it all together. And then I put, I went home with it and put words on words.
2: Yeah gorgeous song a great vocal too
1: and by the way that list we made a rule before doesn't include Mantis songs because we know we're going to talk about that in the episode but I will tell you that three of the five would have been off Mantis for me and I'll gush on about those when we get to track by track which I know is coming up to you
2: Hey it's Toph and uh, we hope you enjoyed part one of our time with brendan bayless of unfreeze mcgee and next week will be let's see what comes after part one? Oh yeah part two so make sure to tune in next week and we will dive further into the mantis album with the nerdy deets and the track by track see you then for part two of episode 43